there. Now we are, we are starting there. So they don't know that we have spoken for 10 minutes. No, they do, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Davidson, he, we were sitting there and all of these 700 students, they had been former pastors. Former pastors. Or, 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 and they were doing their master degrees. So basically most of them, all of these 100 students, they had been pastors, they had only a bachelor, so they wanted a master degree, or some of them were maybe doctoral students. So there are 100 pastors were sitting in the big classroom, and Davidson told us, no, put your Bible away. Put your Bible away, have a piece of paper, so you can uh, write something. Okay, you cannot look in the Bible, know each one of you, Write down on a paper all you know from the Bible on the three angels' messages. What are the three angels' messages from the Bible? Just, uh, you don't need to write it verbatim, you know, exactly, but the key ideas in each angel. Poor. <laughs> you know, that should be a piece of cake even for children's Sabbath school even. I know 12, 13-year-old kids, they know this. But I tell you, of these hundred pastors who were going to higher degrees, 15 of us passed. Only 15 of us could really handle to, in a meaningful way, tell what the three angels' messages, the, the, the wording of it. And that's shocking. It's very shocking. So I'm not, if the pastors don't have, can't handle this, this issue. What about the members? <coughs> I hear, I will not say the country, but in one church in, in, in this world has to train their pastors in the book of Revelation because he doesn't know what's there. I'm not, I'm a pastor myself. I'm an ordained pastor, but you know, to be an ordained pastor doesn't mean anything here in this country or in Scandinavia. But I have been into this work since 1988, I was employed in 1988, and I, I, I must, I'm also guilty of not being that person and so dedicated as as God expects me to be. Let us go now to the Book of Revelation, chapter 13, because that's where that's the place where it is a concentrated uh, text on the three angels' messages. And uh, according to, to uh, the wording of this seminar, I had uh, quite a few questions there. Uh, are the three angels' messages relevant in the 21st century? Yeah, what can we do to share them with the world? How shall we present the three angels' messages to the world? Do we have to believe the three angels' messages to be Seventh-day Adventists? What interpretation of the three angels' messages can we trust? These are extremely important questions. Very important. So before we, we, we start with those questions, before we start with it, we should actually read the text and try to explain it. And I'm not giving you the liberal or the conservative version of it. I'm giving you the standard Adventist interpretation that we have from the pioneers, that we have from Ellen G. White. So this uh, is my 
life calling, so to speak. Chapter 14, the first verse is there, verse 1 to verse 5. We will not go through that, but it speaks about a select group of people, 144,000. That is exactly 12 times 12 times 12,000. So the 12 disciples who sat around the table with Jesus Christ, minus Judas, have multiplied 12,000 times in the end of time. So therefore, there are 144,000. I don't know if it is symbolic or if it is a liter literalistic number, but uh, it's, uh, it's a big number. But compared to the 7, 8 billion people in the world currently, it's a very tiny little fraction, of course. It's just like a drop in the sea. But these people, they are no totally surrendered. And the Bible actually says, and in their mouth was found no guile, for they are without fault before the throne of God. They have this victory. In their optic, the blood of Christ is stronger than the temptations of Satan. And they believe it. They have a strong belief that the blood of Christ is stronger than the temptations of Satan. Because if we will enter heaven, we have to believe that the blood of Christ is stronger than the temptations of Satan. If, you, if we don't have this little faith that the blood of Christ is the strongest power in the universe, we may have a problem entering heaven. Very important to believe in the blood of Jesus Christ and the strength of that blood. So there, yeah? You have a text, I'm sure. Yeah, show it to us. Yeah. There are so many texts on this issue. I think the Bible, it's a red thread throughout the Bible. Romans chapter 5, will you read it for us? Therefore, as by one offense, of one, uh, one man's offense. Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men on justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. The grace was stronger. Yeah. And also, in according to Titus, the grace of God encourages us, forces us to a life of obedience. So they are connected. Uh, thank you very much. You, if you are just friendly and not aggressive, you can stop me and ask questions as we go along. No problem. But if you are harsh, and so then, yeah, it, it will not be so nice. But you can ask any type of question. I have no problem with any type of... If you, if you don't believe what I say, you can, you can say that also. No problem. But uh, I just present to you what is the traditional standard Adventist interpretation. I tell you today, things are floating. And we, there is an idea that we don't have a standard anymore. Anyone believed what was right in his eyes because there was no king in Israel, the Bible says. 
but we have a standard and the standard is the standard is actually the three ANSYS messages. So let's go straight to it because uh, we, we should do chapter 14 verse 4. It says that these are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever he goes. So the last people of God, those who will be through the grace of Christ, will be finishing the work of God in this world. They are following the Lamb. That's actually the key text for this uh, for this gathering, following the lamb is there. Yeah. And if you follow the lamb, that means you are obedient to the lamb. You understand that the, that the blood of Jesus Christ has cleansed us from sin, has, has been very important when we have been forgiven again and again. And I am like you. I've sinned and I need forgiveness again and again. And if it hadn't been for the forgiveness, you know, there would be no hope for me. So we are afraid, we are saved by, by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, our Savior. Now we start in verse 6. Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. What time are we projected into here? We are projected into the time of the end. So we are not at any time in history, we are at the end time. Because the book of Revelation up to this point, up to chapter 14, not including chapter 14, but up to chapter 14, is covering all of church history in five majestic visions that we call PP visions. The first is the seven churches, the second is the seven seals, the third is the seven trumpets, the fourth is the vision in Revelation 12 with the dragon and the woman clothed with the sun. And the fifth vision is the two beasts, the first beast coming, the two beasts in Revelation 13, the first beast coming up from the sea. All these five visions, they cover all of church history. From the beginning, when the prophet was living, until the end of time, when Jesus is coming back. So these five visions are actually synchronous visions in the first part of the book of Revelation. And they are very parallel, especially the seven churches and the seven seals. They are just as parallel as Daniel chapter 2 with the image of four metals and the four, four beasts coming up from the sea. That is how strong the parallel is. So we are projected into the end of time because also it says in, uh, in verse uh, 7, it says that, that the hour of his judgment has come. So it's present time, this what we will see investigative judgment. So after chapter 14, we are exclusively in the end of time. What is the difference between end of time and the latter days? The latter days, according to the Bible, Hebrews chapter 1 and other places, the latter days started when Jesus appeared first time in this world, 2,000 years ago. Then the latter days started. And the latter days is not the end of time. These are two different concepts. If you go to the evangelical churches, they say, oh yeah, it's the same. But it's not the same. The Bible defines these two differently. 
So the end of time is the period from the expiration of the 1260 years when they expire in 1798, around the time of the French Revolution, then the end of time begins. So the end of times is the last days of the last days, if you understand. So the last days cover all of church history and the end of time covers just the last period of church history, the last period in uh, among the seven churches and the seven seals, the seventh church and the seventh seal, and I believe also the seventh trumpet. They all began there in 1844. So all of churches, but when we come after chapter 14, we are exclusively projected into the end of time. So John, who writes these things, he view actually the apocalyptic history from, from an end time perspective. So we must read any, everything from chapter 14 on from an end time perspective. Okay, then I saw another angel. I saw another angel. We know that this is the first angel. Why do we know that this is the first angel? Because the second angel is called the second angel. And the third angel is called the third angel. So that's very simple. So there are three angels there, but in fact there are seven angels in chapter 14. There are seven angels. And personally I believe then that the middle angel, angel number four, might be Jesus Christ. Yeah. And uh, I think maybe you will talk about that, brother uh, Joachim. I don't know. Uh, you have been, you are into these things. Yeah, I will not steal away your, your trademarked uh, <laughs> interpretations. But uh, yeah. So then I saw another angel. You know what angel is in Greek language? Angelosia. And what is the meaning of an angelos? It's a messenger. It's a me it, it, this person or individual, this creature is a messenger. Uh, John is actually called an angelos. John the, the Baptist, he is called angelos. So human beings can also be angelos, not only angels with wings. So this is also a human me a message for, for humans uh, that humans will participate in. Then I saw another angel. Okay, oftentimes this angel reflects a group of people having a message to the world. Flying in the midst of heaven flying in the midst of heaven. This could signify that the message is heavenly. It has heavenly origin. And secondly, when it flies in the midst of heaven, it means that many people can see this angel. Like I've all often said, if a jumbo jet is coming across Denmark and it's only 50 meters above level because the, Denmark is flat, you know, so you can easily fly with a Boeing 747 uh, 100 meters over, uh, over the ground. You have to be more careful in Norway. But here, if it only does that, you can only see that airplane from that confined area. 
you cannot, if, if it flies over Vela, you cannot see it in Aarhus. If it flies 50 meters over ground, maybe, I don't know, but the point is that this message you can see everywhere. As, as, a, as a jumbo jet flying 10,000 meters above us, everyone in Denmark actually, when a Boeing 747 flies over Denmark, every citizen of Denmark can look up and they can see that plane. So this is the angel from the midst of heaven, a message that everyone is able to see. Flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel, having the everlasting, this is the only time in the Bible you find these two words together, everlasting and gospel. And uh, gospel means good news, of course. So this angel has good news to offer because human beings, we are lost in sin and we will be condemned and be placed in the lake of fire unless God intervenes. And he, his intervention we call the good news because God decided to send his own son to this world to die for our sins so that and, and not only that, he decided to come down and be our brother. As a matter of fact, and I've said it before, and sometimes I'm not invited back when I say it, but Jesus became our brother. He took the, our nature. He was different from us in some respects, but he was fully human. He is called a human being in the Bible. The person... Jesus Christ, it says in Timothy, in the letter of Timothy. Menesket, in, in Danish, it would be, in Norwegian, it is Menesket, Jesus Christus. He is a human being. The, 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 the Jesus of the Catholic Church is not a human being. It's an extraterrestrial being because it is lifted half a meter over the ground. And his mother is Mary, who never sinned in her life. And she was conceived without original sin. And she actually didn't die. She went straight to heaven. She is in heaven now. And Jesus that was born from that lady had the Holy Spirit as father. And my father was Einar Jorgensen. And there is a great difference between Einar Jorgensen and the Holy Spirit, I can tell you. So Jesus was entirely different from us in the Catholic viewpoint. But from an Adventist point of view, from a biblical point of view, from a pioneer point of view, until the book Questions on Doctrine appeared, then Jesus was a human being like us and suffered the same as we suffer in our bodies. And his body was, was degraded for 4,000 years, that body he took. And if, if you believe that the blood of Christ is stronger than, the, than the, the temptations of Satan, then everything is okay. We don't need to talk about the nature of Christ. But if you don't believe that the blood of Christ is stronger than the temptations of, 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 of Satan, then we have to go into the topic of the nature of Christ. Because then we have to explain things even more, more thoroughly. But it should be obvious for anyone reading the Bible that there is victory in Christ Jesus. It should be obvious that God has given a law that can be kept. 
he can enable us with the Holy Spirit and through conversion, he can en enable us to keep the law of God. So uh, we, make, we, we make God very unreasonable if we say that the law of God cannot be kept. We make him very unreasonable. So uh, here it comes. Flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth. So this gospel, this good news of Jesus Christ coming to this world, taking on himself our nature, and he carried our sins on the cross, and he paid the punishment for every evil things we have done. And he is our savior. And without Jesus Christ, we can God not get expiration for our sins. Without Jesus Christ, we cannot have forgiveness for sin sins. So Jesus Christ is the good news, the everlasting gospel. And that is to be preached to those who dwell in the, on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. That is four, fourfold. Can you see that? Every nation, every tribe, every tongue, every people. And number four is the number of totality in all directions. And uh, it fits very well. This was just an introduction because verse 7 speaks about fearing God. This is the real message. Here it, here it comes, the explicit message of the three angels. The first message saying with a loud voice. Loud voice here is megaphone. In the old days before electricity, they had some, some speakers in, in, in the arenas. And they, I can even remember when I was a young kid, they still had this uh, in, in, in my hometown when they wanted to announce things. Megaphone, a megaphone. So with a loud voice. And I remember when I was sitting at the feet of Mark Findlay in 1988 in Copenhagen. He had a big campaign there and Rolf Finger was there for those who know him. And... Um, and uh, uh, I, I was assisting Mark Finley in uh, Swanaway Church with a, not video projector in those days, but it was slide projector. That's, that's how old I am, you know, back in the days of the slide projectors. And I was doing it and Mark Finley was standing there and, and, and I remember when he went over this text, he said, saying with a loud voice, Feel God and give him honor. You see? So that's the point here. It's supposed to be loud. Fear God and give glory to him. For the hour of his judgment has come and worship him who made heavens, the earth, the sea, and the springs of water. You know about righteousness by faith? Ellen White had a question. Is the three angels' messages related to righteousness by faith? She was asked by a lady. And she answered, yes, yeah. She said, the third angel message is righteousness by faith in verity. So righteousness by faith that we are saved by, by grace through faith in Jesus Christ and surrender, of course, to him and daily faith in him. As we drive a car, we cannot close our eyes because then we will crash and likewise when we are with Christ, we cannot for five seconds say, I will not have Christ anymore. Christ must be in our conscience 
from morning till we go to bed. He must be there in any of our enterprises in this world. Christ must be there. And we must not leave him out. You know, when we sin, we really say, Christ, uh, can you leave me a little bit? I have to do something. Yeah. Because when we are converted, sin is something conscious with us. If we are not converted, we are actually swimming in sin. And we are not aware of, 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 of this, of this uh, sea of sins in our lives. But when we are converted, surrendered to Christ, the Holy Spirit will tell us all the time when we have sin. And we, if we are attentive, we can live that holy life. We can walk on water. But if you don't believe it's possible to keep the Ten Commandments, forget everything. Go out and dance in the dance bar and live the life. Because we will be saved by Christ. Whatever sins we are doing, I have been discussing with many people this issue. And uh, to me, it's extremely illogical to say that it is impossible to keep the law of God. Not in our strength, of course, but when we are connected with Christ. Remember that. So, the three angels' messages is really righteousness by faith. So when it says here, fear God and give glory to him, it really says you must be converted to fear God. Because no unconverted person can fear God. And how do we become converted? By getting to know Jesus. And when we see the law of God, we will be aware of our sins. And also when we see Jesus Christ, we will be aware of our sins. And therefore, to be converted, converted is to be aware of our sins and to turn away from them through Jesus Christ. That is to be converted. So, so here, the message here is really preach righteousness by faith, lift up Jesus Christ as our own only hope, of salvation, this is really to fear God. So instead of, of going the way without Christ, that, that would be, you have to fear the Lord, you have to keep the Sabbath, you have to follow the health message, period. Nobody can keep the commandments without Christ. It's impossible. So when we preach the three angels' messages without Christ, we commit a great crime. Because we leave people helpless with bad conscience from morning to evening. Because Christ is the solution. So fear God, you know what fear God really means? It means to, to keep his commandments. Yeah? Yeah. And Pakia. But if we want the text, Exodus 20:20. There it connects fear of God with the law of God. Yeah. So thank you very much for that. Yeah. 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 It's the same to, to uh, fear God. So fear God and give glory to him. How can we give glory to God? Of course, being very loving and caring with our next door neighbor, with the people around us. 
the best way to glorify God, to, 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 to honor Jesus Christ in our flesh, is to be a loving person from morning to evening and to, and to live the life as Jesus lived it, not thinking about your own ambitions to be fulfilled. Oh, I will have this education. I will have this job. I, I'm, I'm going to save money. I, have, I will have this car. I will live there. I will this, I will that. No, to be converted is, is really to say, God, what do you want with my life? How shall I live my life? Where shall I live? What kind of education shall I have? What about this uh, spouse? Is this a good spouse for me in the future? Can I have this job? This is to be, this is to glorify God. We can also speak about the health message. I have a few New Year resolutions. I mean, <laughs> I mean, not say all of them, but, but, but uh, we are soaked in the health message, and it's eighty percent of our sins. So it's better just get ahead with it, because Ellen White. I'm not using Ellen White very much. Have you have you recognized that? I never, I, not often. But Ellen White says, if we win a victory on the point of appetite we can win the full victory over all sins. Yeah, she says that. So appetite, did the world start with a break of appetite? Or with the sin of appetite? Yeah, Ada, uh, Eve. She, appetite was driving her. Oh, I must taste this delicious fruit. What about when they went into the desert? Was appetite an issue? Oh, very much. What about Daniel? Was appetite an issue? Oh, very much, yeah. With Jesus, was appetite an issue? Yeah. Oh, very much, yeah. So why shouldn't we expect that appetite will be an issue before Jesus comes back second time? Of course it will be. Appetite affects our moral being. When we break the laws of nature, we break the law of God. So I still think that we must be liberal with others and conservative with ourselves. And we cannot point and say, oh, you cannot do this. This is something between us and God. Our, the way we live our lives, health by, unless you go with a pork or something like that, the big pork and uh, into the church and, uh, and say, I'm eating pork. No, there was actually in Norway a little church that on, on, in, in, in a worship time on Sabbath, holy time, a lady brought in a pig in the church and this was a domesticated pork and you know a pig in an Adventist church on divine service it's not very appropriate so we had to she had to be talked to so the, the pork had to to leave the church yeah no it was in Newton, Newton yeah <laughs> It was in Newton, a church in Norway, just half an hour from where I live. In Greece. In Greece, yeah. Keledir. Greece and Keledir. When they were inappropriate, we may say. If we say it mildly. <laughs> okay. Saying with a loud voice, fear God and give glory to him. Can you see that? To honor him, to, uh, to fear him, is really to live that life when Jesus lives through his spirit in us. So we connect with Christ and, and I'm struggling. 
I'm struggling. Maybe I'm, I'm the one struggling most in here, but I can never forget the ideal, you know, what we should reach for. I'm not perfect. I have still my issues in life, but I know what the ideal is. And through Christ, these ideals can be reached. I have one Bible verse in Romans 8 and 4. It says that Abraham believed the promise of God and gave glory to him. Yeah, thank you. Very good text. Yeah. I have another from 1 Corinthians 10 and 31. It says, uh, whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. Yeah, thank you very much. So it, uh, three places in Corinthians he's speaking about this. So it's fantastic. So fear God and give glory to him for the hour of his judgment has come. The hour of his judgment has come. You know, hour in the Bible is somehow symbolic because Jesus said, my hour has not yet come. Mine hour has not yet come. And then when he's sitting around the table and a little later he says, this is the hour of darkness. So this hour is a symbol of some, some serious destiny. And uh, the hour of judgment here must be the investigative judgment. Because if you compare this with Daniel chapter 7, after you see the vision of the four animals, the ten horns and the little horn, then we see a heavenly scene. And we see a man like the Son of Man approaching a certain building. And it says there that the law, the, the law was seated, the, the court was seated and the books were opened. Have you read that text? Yeah, it's a fantastic text. It, it speaks about a, a law case, a law. Uh, and this is after the activity of the little horn. And the little horn ended in 1798. So after 1798, there was a court case in heaven. The Bible says Daniel chapter 7. And Daniel chapter 8 supports this because when the sanctuary will be cleansed is similarly to the cleansing of the sanctuary in the old Israel. And what day did that take place on? In the seven months on the 10th day, the day of atonement. So this, and, and, and if you ask a Jewish guy, a Jewish person, uh, what, uh, what, what significance is there in the day of atonement? Oh, that's a day of judgment because they were standing outside the court, you know, the, the court, uh, when the, when the, uh, in the court case, when the high priest went into the tent, first the holy place and the ho most holy place, and they were standing outside. The common people didn't come into the courtyard. So they, they had this, uh, this uh, um, court, uh, around the courtyard, what we call this? The tabernacle and the, 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 the forhanged in Norwegian. What? Forhanged by Engelsk. No? The, what? Yeah, the fence around. It was like 2.2 meters high, so a normal person, it was up there, so they couldn't see what was behind, but they could hear the high priest because he had bells. Blah, 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 blah. And, and they knew he was in there with their sins. So they were shaking. Oh, can I have forgiveness for my sins? Just like God's people before Jesus comes back. Have I had forgiveness for my sins? Have I had forgiveness? This is the greatest concern for God's people just before Jesus comes back. 
not if they will be killed or ridiculed, but have I been forgiven all my sins? So, okay, so the, the, the judgment here. Uh, so for the hour of his judgment has come and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and springs of water. This is taken from the fourth commandment. Thou shall keep the seventh day holy. It is not verbatim wording from the fourth commandment, but it is, it is the same concept. So, so John has taken this concept from the fourth commandment and put it here into the first angel. And that is remarkable because this means that the Sabbath will be promoted in the end of time. The Sabbath will be an important thing in the proclamation of the last message. And I showed some pictures there of the Pope with some evangelical leaders around. You know, they are enemies of the Sabbath, these guys. They are enemies of the Sabbath. And one day they're going to exterminate anything that is in the, in the way of Sunday keeping for the whole world. If people insist on keeping Sabbath and not keeping Sunday, you are actually making problem for the big machinery of the new world order. Because every must, everyone must be gathered around Sunday. And the Pope have said that we need to, we need to destroy things that may be positive for the better of the community. This is his clear words. So we have to sacrifice to get, to, to, to be, to, to be benefited universally. So the plan is that way. Okay. When it says worship him, you know, the three angels messages is about worship. Either you worship Satan or you worship God. You can't, there is nothing in between. Either you worship Satan or you worship God. The hour of his judgment has come and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. This was the first angel. And that's a piece of cake. And it's, it says with a low voice. But the problem comes with the second angel's message. And uh, the second angel's message speaks about Babylon. And I tell you, we need to know what Babylon is. And there is no more confusion than currently in the Seventh-day Adventist Church on the point of Babylon. And the confusion started with the issuing of the book Questions on Doctrine. A fantastic book. If you want to learn the Advent message, it's a fantastic book. And I have no problem conducting a Bible study over Questions on Doctrine and using that as a textbook. But there are five or six or seven points in questions on doctrine that can be destructive for our souls if, if we follow their lines to their logical conclusion. But uh, the book defends 1844. The book defends the state of the dead. The book is fantastic, except for a few things. And the book's definition of Babylon has been devastating for the church ever after it was issued. Because according to the Bible, and I will say the pioneers and Ellen G. White, the definition of Babylon is fallen Christianity 
that is in rebellion with the law of God. That is a definition of Babylon. So therefore, after 1844, the Protestant church became part of Babylon because they rejected the truth that was proclaimed by Miller. They rejected the truth that later was proclaimed by the Seventh-day Adventists, where we prove from the Bible that the Sabbath is the seventh day. So any church or religious body that says we will not listen to, to the Bible uh, concerning the Sabbath, we will go our own way, that's part of Babylon. That's one point with, the, with Sabbath, Sunday. The next point is with the state of the dead. If you believe in the immortality of the soul, if your church believe in the immortality of the soul, that church is part of Babylon. And in combination, Sunday and immortality of the soul, you have a little poison there. And there is a third person also on the team. And the third person is church-state relations. Ellen White says it very explicitly in the Great Controversy that the state churches of Europe are part of Babylon. The state churches of Europe are part of Babylon. And also all churches that... So, so we have a big job to wake up these people in the other churches, but we can, but you know, some of these churches have a higher standard than we have. I'm sorry to say, I went to Andrews University, and beside Andrews University, the Catholic Church has their big university in America, Notre Dame University, half an hour away from Andrews. I was driving there often. I, I went to that campus to, and I was in the library, and I looked around. You know, when when they had a higher standard, actually. If you, you could go to Andrews University to, to the student center there and they rented out movies that are R-rated. R, you know an R? R? Ameri movies from Hollywood. That means that there are very heavy scenes with violence and sex. These movies you could buy on campus, you could borrow on campus at Andrews. Never could you see such movies in the Catholics university you see so so actually the standard is higher in many churches than in our own church so we have a revival and a reformation to take on we need to do something so babylon babylon are all these different churches and if you belong to such a church you are in babylon and you need to get out from Babylon. Because if you don't get out from Babylon, you will get lost in the seven plagues, the Bible says. But then you can say, yeah, do we need to believe the Bible? Yeah. If you don't believe the Bible, you don't believe these things. Because the Bible says that the seven plagues will fall on Babylon. And if you do not escape from Babylon, you will get lost. You will be destroyed. And what is our job? Our job is to knock on the door of Babylon and say, come out of her, my people, so that you will not be subjected to the seven plagues and the sins of Babylon. It says here in verse 8, chapter 14, And another angel followed, saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen. That great city, because she has made 
all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Can you see a loud voice here? No, no loud voice. And why is there no loud voice here now? There is no loud voice because we have to be very careful with the proclamation of this message. I cannot come on DR, punctum DK, and say, all these different uh, Pentecostal churches and Methodist churches and Baptists, it's Babylon. When they, some of these churches, have a higher standard than my own church has. Are you with me? You understand what I say? We have a low standard these days. We, are, we don't have a biblical sanctifying standard anymore. Anyone can do whatever they want because there is no king in Israel anymore. I will say this until my death unless God intervenes and helps us to bring up the standard in the church. My own standard needs also to come up. I need to be inspired because I'm so... I feel so cold and lukewarm oftentimes. I come to a church, I need to be encouraged. Is there encouragement? Not very much. We need God to intervene. We are, we are hopelessly dead, a dead church. Poor. I'm sorry, but uh, I can't, a preacher shouldn't only flatter with the congregation. There should be some some, uh, some, uh, what shall we call it? Pointers. Yeah. Anyway, uh, Babylon, and another ancient fall of saying Babylon is fallen, that is, after 1844, it experienced the fall. And at that time, in the time of Martin Luther, the Catholic Church had actually been in a Babylonian state since the ancient times since the time of Theodosian, since the time before Theodosian. I think the Roman Catholic Church officially, it took maybe 100 years until it was bad. Because already in 135, they operate with the Sunday keeping. 135 after Christ, Rome, the Roman Church, is adopting Sunday as a day of worship. And later they adopt this immortality of the soul. This happens in the latter part of the second century, that the Christians adopt the immortality of the soul. And Tertullian, who lived just around 200, he's one of the first to pro profoundly preach this message of the immortality of the soul. So the Roman Catholic Church has these two points already from a very early time. So it's, it's Babylon. And Martin Luther explained to the world that, that the Roman Catholic Church is Babylon. But after 1844, Babylon has been expanded to include the, 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 the Protestant churches and all churches that, is, that are in, in, in warfare with the law of God. And with a very clear teaching on, 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 the, on the nature of man. Yeah. When, when you put it like this, that it is um, belief systems which are against the law of God, yeah. Then you would probably also be able to put in Islam. Islam also. I, I, to, to be honest with you, I believe all false religion is part of Babylon. Yeah, I, I believe all false religion is part of Babylon. 
But it's a little proud to say we are the only one not in Babylon because there are many churches, many people, they haven't heard the message. They might be excused, actually. They just keep Sunday out of ignorance. And we haven't been eager to, to tell them this story. In Jeremiah, we don't need the text, but in Jeremiah 51 and verse 79, it tells about the Babylon, the ancient Babylon. Yeah. And uh, I have studied uh, these ancient religions. My country, my nation, Armenians, they had their own gods, and they had, in all these mythologies of ancient religions, you have a god of death. Yeah. All these ancient religions believe uh, in the immortality of the soul. Absolutely, yeah. 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 That's a common characteristic of all false religion, immortality of the soul. And the only religion, it seems, that is not uh, giving in for that is Jehovah's Witnesses. And you know why? Because the first Jehovah's Witnesses, he had, his name was Russell. He was converted by a Millerite Adventist preacher. He was converted to the Bible. So therefore, he, 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 from the beginning, he, he understood that there is no immortality of the soul. But they have bewitched this topic of uh, conditionalism, which we call it conditional immortality. Because Jehovah's Witnesses, you know what they say? They say that, they say that, when you die and you will, if you get lost and annihilated, you will die instantly and there will be no judgment. You will just be annihilated immediately when you die. There will be, you will not be accountable for your sins. So I always ask them, what about Adolf Hitler? Isn't it very unfair? You know, he tormented millions of Jews and and caused 50 million people to die in warfare. And he just took a pill with a smile on his face and he was sleeping in. So he shall just go past by any judgment and just rest for all eternity and never be accountable for what he has done. Is that what you think? And then they are a little shaken, of course, because it's 100% unreasonable. This is what they believe, yeah? Hitler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But with a smile on, on his face. So now we have taken the second angel here. Oh, okay, we, we, we need to do. It's fallen, it's fallen. That great city. And the old Babylon is a parallel to modern Babylon, spiritual Babylon. What, why did she fall? Because she has made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. So all her heresies. Wine in the Bible is false doctrines, false doctrines. Wine in the Bible. So Babylon, as, I mean the Roman Catholic Church especially, is working in more countries than any other institutions in the world. We have. Yeah. Shall we find it? Good. Uh, no, it, it is actually in Jeremiah chapter 25, verse 12, but there are many places. I think Isaiah chapter 10, 29, 9 to 3 is the best. Isaiah chapter 29. Very God, Birgit, because 
you really need to push me on these things and ask me, where is the Bible text? Isaiah chapter 29. Yeah. And chapter 29 and verses, uh, let's see, it's verses 9 to 13. Pause and wonder, blind yourselves and be blind. They are drunk, but not with wine. They stagger, but not with intoxicating drink. For the Lord has poured out on you the spirit of deep sleep and has closed your eyes, namely the prophets, and he has covered your heads, namely the seers. Isaiah chapter 29, verse 9. And I read verse 9 and 10. The whole vision has become to you like the words of a book that is sealed, which men deliver to one who is literate, saying, Read this, please. And he says, I cannot, for it is sealed. So in other words, to be, to be drunk by spiritual wine means you can't understand the word of God. Just like the word today. You remember Daniel 5? We will study Daniel next semester in, in the Sabbath school. But in Daniel 5, you have Belshazzar's feast. And he's drinking there, you know. And, uh, and suddenly, and suddenly uh, the writing is on the wall. And he, and he is so scared when he sees this that his, uh, his knees are going towards each other. Like, and the Hebrew phrase, I understand, has to do with giving in for, uh, what is, what's a nice word for urinating. You know, some, some dogs, if they are scared, they urinate. Some kids, when they are scared, they urinate. And that was, seems to be Belsasar when he saw this writing on the wall. Yeah. And, uh, and if you study alcohol in the Bible, wine in the Bible, it is associated most often with, with apostasy and with, with the de decadence and, and these things. Also, Herodes, didn't he ask for a hand? Uh, 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 he was drunk, Herodes, and, 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 and uh, his uh, sex partner asked him, I want the head of John. And it was because he was intoxicated with alcohol. Alcohol is a terrible curse. How can, how can we Adventists drink alcohol? In some countries in Europe, you know, it's common for Adventists to drink alcohol. We support that evil, wicked industry. We support Satan himself when we do it. Yeah. If you drink alcohol, keep it for yourself. Don't mention it to anyone. And don't, don't make PR for alcohol in any way. I know there are even pastors saying that they are drinking alcohol. That's what, uh, that's what rumors say. In southern part of Europe, it's very common in some Adventist circles to drink alcohol. Wine. You know, it's something snobbish and something nice and you feel good then. But if you drink alcohol, keep it for yourself. Don't ever mention it and struggle with God and pray to God to, to deliver you from that miserable habit. Oh. And then it says here, the, uh, Babylon is fallen. We are in eight, uh, verse 8. Yeah, no, we were in, uh, in Isaiah chapter 29, weren't we? I gave you all the verses, and, and uh, verse 13, I must say, in Isaiah 20, 29, Inasmuch as these people draw near to me with their mouths and honor me with their lips, 
but have removed their hearts far from me, and their fear toward me is taught by the commandment of men. So the vine, <coughs> verse 13, Isaiah chapter 29. So what is this vine? It is the commandments of men. It is human doctrines. It's not biblical doctrines. And these human traditions which the Catholic Church is filled up with, and the Protestant churches are very attracted to, these, these man-made commandments are spread all over the world. All over the world. And I can see the Norwegian Lutheran Church, official Lutheran Church, oh, they are so fascinated by Catholicism these days. And the Catholics, oh, and, 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 and uh, they want to pilgrims, they are pilgrimages, they go to Nidarosdomen, oh, they think there is some merit in these things, and they go to these retreat centers to follow Ignatius Loyola's spiritual exercises, and the Protestants, they start to be nuns, and they start to be monks, and we are going straight into into the fold of the Roman Catholic Church. Incredible. Centimeter by centimeter. And Adventists, when I speak about these things, some Adventists say, oh, we mustn't talk about these things. I tell you, we get lost if we don't talk about these things. Do you want a place in heaven? Why, in the time of the prophets, the prophets, they were persecuted by the people, by the priests, by everyone. Do you think it will be different today? I could have reasons to be angry in my soul because I'm an ordained minister and some places I'm rejected. I cannot come because I have certain, certain interpretations of Bible, which I mean is very standard. So I could be very bitter, but God take away this bitterness. I don't want to end up as a, as a critic of critic, but, but we, we must be balanced. We can't just say, oh, everything is okay. We have a foundational pro problem today. And the young people are fleeing away from us. You know, some young people, they go to our schools and they come out as atheists. There are many examples these days. Young people, they go into our schools. They go out from our schools and they are atheists. Convinced atheists and enemies of the Advent message. There is a reason for that. Okay, let's go back to the last phrase. Because he has made all... We are back in Revelation 14, verse 8. Because he has made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. We take a break, five minutes break. Or we can continue until... So, so we can take five minutes before dinner is starting. Are you... <laughs> yeah, you have a question, yeah. Says, uh, when Jesus is talking about the new wine, the new wine, yeah, that we cannot to put in all the how we say it, yeah, uh, yeah. Wow. yes. So, is it about the doctrine? Is it right? No, I, I, yeah, if there's a core difference, new wine does not make you drunk, the old wine does, so that's at least one difference. Yeah, you're trunk, uh, no, you're not, on the the wedding. Wedding. not on the wedding. But literally speaking, in the old days, in Jesus' time, if, if you had uh, an old wine sack and you put new wine in that, 
it could uh, explode. Yeah. And so uh, your question is, what is the new wine? It's a symbol Jesus used because he is yeah. something else there, not only the wine. He says about also about the clothings of something, right? Yeah. But you, yeah, you cannot repair because it does not move. Yeah. But is it? Uh, my question is, is, is this symbols Jesus used? Uh, yeah, I think I think it must be the his uh, his uh, atonement, his dying on the cross, his salvation, and that that package of of, uh, of truth cannot be stored in a place where tradition and mistakes have been before. So then everything will will explode. Yeah. To convince other people from the Bible that here we have wine as a symbol on the new uh, yeah. 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 So, yeah. We have the two angels more. Two messages more, and we'll do it in uh, in the in the speed of light, and that is the third angel, and we're going to Revelation 18 to look at the fourth angel, and this is uh, so we take five minutes. Okay, uh, Alan, if you have something to say, say it now, or leave the room. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, Alan is uh, is my partner in. Uh, in the business of the Advent message. And we have worked together since uh, 1988. And, yeah. How come that the Catholic Church is so unpopular? And at the same time in the media, all the time we have one abuse of yeah. the church. Yeah. 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 I, I will explain. You see, the Catholic Church, the Pope and the Catholic Church, the Pope especially, and those who run the church and the really nasty people, to say it like that, the cardinals and all these, they are not very concerned for the pedophilia. It's, they, it's so big, the Catholic Church, 1.43 billion members. And this pedophilia, it can never threaten the church. From our point of view, we should say that, I have said that also, they, they should close down it because of this pedophilia. It's reason enough to close down the whole organization. Just close it down, sell all institutions, give the money to the poor. But it's, it's going to continue. And, uh, and there is a strange thing here. We know that Donald Trump and the Pope are good friends behind closed doors. This we know. And we know that they are partners in a bigger game. And we know that the, the respect Donald Trump is showing the Pope. Uh, the only person the, 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 the Donald Trump is showing respect in the whole world is the Pope. Period. Nobody else. He just, you know, anyone, if, he, if you're a president, ah, how are you? But the Pope is, oh, oh, oh. yeah. So, Donald Trump is having a, a right-wing populistic political message in America. You know that. And it's the, it's the conservative fundamentalists. They are very enthusiastic. And all those who are toward fascism and uh, intolerant world, all the weak people squeeze them out. And uh, it's for the strong people. So 
half the population follow Donald Trump in this. And they are very dedicated. They will make a wall between Mexico and US and they will expel all the Latinos and they will make a, and then you have the other part that are in favor of homosexuality and they are in favor of everything that is decadent and, and ugly and bad. But who, if you want to gather the whole population, of course you let Trump, he takes one side and you let the Pope take the other side. Because in Europe also you have a right-wing populistic religious Christian movement, uh, political movement. You know that. In Poland, it's very conservative, very on the right. On the right. You see, anti-communist. And, uh, and if you go to Holland, you have the party there. You have in Sweden, you have all over Europe, a new wave of political right. And these who are inside this political right, we can see the most extreme of them was Breivik, Anders Bering Breivik. He was the one pushing it really far out there. He was willing to kill. But it's the same category in political ideology. Same category. But some are, most are much softer than Breivik. But Breivik is the most, this group here, if you, if you ask them, do you, would you like the Catholic Church and the Pope to rule in Europe? They would say yes, because they hate Islam. And they know the antidote against Islam is the Christian church. So they want Breivik, he was dreaming about the Middle Ages when the church was ruling the world. That was one of his ideals. He was a ridder, wasn't he? Or a knight in English. He was a knight, and that's taken out from the medieval world. But this is half of Europe who is on the right side. How can you gather Europe if the Pope is joining what really the Catholic Church is very, they fit very nicely with fascism. We know that from South America. We know that from Mussolini. We know that from Franco in Spain. We know that from Adolf Hitler. The Catholics are very happy with fascism. But if the Pope joined these right wings, what about the 50%? that is not in favor of this. So the Pope, he goes to the liberal Europe. He goes to the liberal America because the whole world is supposed to be gathered around the Pope and Donald Trump. So therefore it's a genius, a plan of a genius this. It's just as Constantine, he took the Sunday from the pagans and he took the Sabbath from the Christians. And then he blended them and he made a new Sunday. And this is exactly the same that is going on, because the Pope is really, he is even, he is not condemning homosexuality. He is so liberal that some Catholics have, has, have rejected him. And there are some offshoot Catholics, they think that he is the Antichrist, because he is so liberal. I know a person, I should lock off this though, when I say this, but because I know a high-ranking Catholic, and that high-ranking ca Catholic tells me, and it could be anyone, I'm in many different countries, so it could be anyone around the world, but this high-ranking Catholic tells me when we talk that uh, the Pope is a miserable person in the church. We dislike 
the Pope because he's too liberal. Yeah. So they have their internal struggles also. But your question was a little differently. <laughs> Why is he always vacation? What? How many weeks of vacation do you have? No, <laughs> no I, I just asked how come he can be so popular when, when there are so many, so many childhoods coming up. Yeah, it's incredible. It's absolutely incredible. For example, for example you know, in, in the gymnastics in America, you know, there have been some abuses of uh, the, the young. Yeah. Yeah. And this has just made a big, big thing and uh, yeah. they have changed everything as far as that. There are thousands and thousands of kids that have had their lives destroyed, millions of kids actually around the world. And in some places, I think it is in, in Australia, they have they stated somewhere that 10 or 15 percent of all the Catholic priests, I don't know the exact, but it was a high percentage, they were pedophile. Yeah, a high percentage of the Catholic priests were pedophiles. Think about that. You know, we should measure these things in the micro, not in the percentage. It should be in the nano, on the nano level. Let's go to Revelation chapter 14. But it is, uh, it is something that is hard to, to, to swallow, that the church is popular in spite of this pedophilia stuff. Because on their fruits you shall know them. So if people follow the Bible, they should reject the Catholic Church. Yeah, if the Adventist church was, was filled up with pedophile pastors, what would the world say? There would be total, complete condemnation of our church. But the Catholic church, they are a state and they are a, they are a church at the same time. Very flexible. And I'm not scared of the Catholic church, I'm scared of the Protestants. The apostate Protestants. Because they're going to do a devilish work now in these last days. Yeah. I was just going to say that uh, Netflix just recently produced a, um, a, TV, a TV series called uh, The Two Popes. Yeah, that's right, yeah. I, yeah, yeah. Benedict and, and Francis. That's right, yeah. Pure Catholic propaganda. Yeah. Oh, they are specialists in propaganda. So uh, let's continue. We are now in verse 9, the third angel. And before dinner, we have to complete it. So I will, I will just go through it, verse 9. Then a third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice. What does that mean, a loud voice? We can proclaim this message loud and clear. The first angel's message, I can proclaim. God tells me through his word, Kenneth, you can go out anywhere and you can proclaim the law of God. You can proclaim the Sabbath. You can proclaim the investigative judgment that's going on in the heavenly court case. You can proclaim the law of God. Everything you can proclaim, loud and clear. But be careful with the Babylon stuff. When you condemn other Christians, when you, when you speak to them in a derogative way, be careful. Don't do that. So therefore, don't use a loud voice when you speak about this topic, that the other churches has fallen. Because, you know, we have to have a very high standard in order to say that you church, your church is fallen, but my church is more terrible than your church. You see? It's like what uh, Sven-Avi Gustafsson told me. Uh, 
he has so many nice stories, that man. He said that one day there was a Christian meeting and they had, uh, they had a music festival. And the Christians were standing there, the young Christians, and they were dancing and the music and those on the scene, they were having all their instruments. And, uh, and then one other person from outside came. He was not a Christian. So he came into this congregation of young people dancing after Christian music. And have you seen it? They do that these days. Evangelical young people, they dance and they are, it's like a rock concert. Yeah, and Adventist young people also. So, so then, this unchristian, unconverted person, he came in among them. And then they started to scream to him and they said, You must be converted! You must be converted, they said, while they were dancing. And then he said, Converted? We are reading the same books, eating the same food, seeing the same television programs, the same movies. Uh, I'm, uh, we are drinking the same, we are, doing, we are doing just the same. What do I have to be converted from? Because we are living the same life. This is today unconverted Christianity. So, yeah. I, when, I con when I seem to be negative to the Catholic Church, you can see I'm also negative to the Protestant Church. You can see also that I'm negative to the Adventist church. Can you see that? I'm even negative to myself. I need to be converted. I need to be totally surrendered. And I have some measure again. There are things in my life I need to surrender. I'm far from perfect. But I'm just telling you the ideal that we should strive for. And through Christ, we can reach it. Then a third angel, verse 9, followed them, saying with a loud voice. So this we can proclaim with a loud voice. And what can we proclaim with a loud voice? Sometimes I come to some Adventist churches, especially one Adventist church, where one guy, he rose up and said, how can you speak about the Antichrist? It, it was like I was offending him, so to speak. Think, if we can't speak about the Antichrist in an Adventist church, where in the world can we speak about it? Yeah then we can never speak about it. So we have to be so careful now. Ah, don't see, don't say something bad about the Pope. Oh. No. Then a third angel followed them saying with a loud voice, if anyone worships the beast, and who is the beast? The papacy, the first beast coming up from the sea. If anyone worships the beast, what does it mean to worship the beast? It means, I see they have television uh, transference there, so we, we, we have also television, not only the... <laughs> then, I, then a third angel followed them saying with a low voice, if anyone worships the beast, how, how do people worship the beast? That is to, <coughs> to uh, submit to the authority of the beast. That is to worship the beast. If we worship Jesus Christ, we submit to the authority of Jesus Christ, then we worship Jesus. So if we submit to the papacy, then we worship the papacy, the Antichrist. If anyone worships the beast and his image, and what is the image of the beast? I just had one over, uh, over I could have emphasized the image stuff there. I, it was too much in too little time. I'm sorry for that. 
But the image of the beast is United States of America, and I'll explain it. Because if I take a picture now of uh, Natalia, okay, Natalia, there is Natalia, okay, and I take a picture. Now I have, a, I take off the picture, and here is the picture of Natalia, and there is Natalia, and I spoke. Uh, what the, uh, this is only the image of Natalia. The real Natalia is there. So when you have the image of the beast, the beast is Europe, Middle Ages. And what was the main characteristic of the beast, the Antichrist, the papacy in the Middle Ages? It was state church together. Because without state church together, you cannot persecute. When state and church is separated, persecution is not possible. And therefore, the, the system of America was a genius, system of, of, of genius. It was fantastic. So the image of this beast, state church, the image is America. Because America will actually, its separation today between church and state, but one day it will no longer be separation. They will merge in. State and church will merge in to each other in America. So therefore, it has become the image of the beast. And if you worship this image of the beast, or if you, that is to submit to that image, you take the mark of the beast. If anyone worships the beast and his image and receives his mark on his foreheads, or on his hand, he himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God. So the mark of the beast, what is that? Very, sh very short to the point. The mark of the beast, we, we believe, is the Sunday, yeah. But why? Because uh, Jesus or, or God has a mark, a sign. And the sign of God is the Sabbath. Uh, Ezekiel chapter 20, verse 20, speaks about that. And many other texts speaks about the Sabbath being the sign between God and his people. You have read it. I'm, no, I'm sure you have read it. So the Sabbath is a sign. But the Sabbath is the sign or the mark of authority for God. Why? Because the Sabbath signifies creation. He created the whole world in six days. So it is a sign, it's the sign of authority for the Lord, the Sabbath. And then I ask you, what is the mark of the beast? What is the sign of the beast? The sign of the beast must be, must be the, the, the sign of authority in the Catholic Church. And there is one exceptional sign of authority in the Catholic Church that they brag about more than anything else, and that is Sunday, as a day of rest. Because they were the one who introduced Sunday for the Christian church. And they admit that the Sunday is not found in the Bible. It's a production from their own fold. The Sunday, there is one quotation, a famous quotation, it says that Sunday is the mark of our authority, Catholic source. Sunday is the mark of our authority. In what way? Yes. The Catholic Church says, you know, you Protestants, you keep the Sunday holy. 
and you believe in Sola Scriptura, and the Bible doesn't speak about Sunday. You keep Sunday holy. You know why? Because it's from us you have it. And it's our authority that has changed the law of God from Sabbath to Sunday. So really, we are in the same team. So the mark of the beast, I'll show you two texts in relation to this. And uh, I have a warfare with the, with the time, but we will reach it. And the two texts is the following. Read now chapter 13, Revelation chapter 13. And verse 16. Okay? And hold your finger there. Revelation 13, verse 16. And he causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads, that, and that no one may, may buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. So hold your finger there. So the point is, the mark of the beast you place on the right hand or on your forehead. And then we go to Deuteronomy chapter 5. And hold your finger in Revelation 13, Deuteronomy chapter 5. And what do you have there? You have the Ten Commandments. Isn't that so? So in chapter 6, it says about these Ten Commandments, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words, which words? The Ten Commandments, of course. And these words, which I command you today, shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them. We are in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6. That is Femtemus book, chapter 6. Deuteronomy. The fifth book of Moses. Okay. Verse 6. And these words, which really are the Ten Commandments, which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. And they shall be as frontless between your eyes. I think one has to be blind if you cannot see, see the parallel here between the mark of the beast and, and the mark of God. And we know it is the Sabbath and we know the other is the Sunday. So Sunday keeping is really the mark of the beast, but nobody has received the mark of the beast at this time. And, and also we must say only those who will not receive Jesus Christ will receive the mark of the beast. If you receive Christ, I receive Christ, and I surrender to Christ, and I live after, after uh, Christ from morning to evening, and I dedicate myself to Christ. If I sin, I pray for forgiveness, of course, but I have, have my close connection with Christ. I, it's impossible to, to take the mark of the beast. It's impossible. You have to reject the Bible. You have to reject Christ to take the mark of the beast. So it's not like, oh, he, somebody took the mark of the beast by, by, 
by a, a, a mistake in life. No, there is a great system behind taking the mark of the beast because you have to reject the Bible then. So this, is, uh, this was the third angel. And this we can proclaim to the world. We can tell the world that, that the Sunday keeping is the mark of the beast. We can give it a, a loud voice. The Bible says so. Give, tell it with a loud voice. But when we come to chapter 18, because when we go after in chapter 14, it will be a severe judgment on those who take the mark of the beast. Verse 10. He himself, we are in chapter 14. He himself shall also drink the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation, and he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. These are very severe words, very heavy words, not pleasant at all. Verse 11, and the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever. Le pay attention to it. It's the smoke that ascends forever and ever. And if we have a fire, you know, if Vail of you burnt up this afternoon, you know, the, fi the, 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 the smoke from it would last for days probably. It would go far away. And the, the smoke is extinct by the fire brigade. So there is no more fire. But everyone in Denmark, they can see this cloud coming. And this is the idea here. And the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever. And they have no rest day or night. If you don't keep the right Sabbath, you cannot have rest day or night. Because the true rest is true Sabbath keeping. That is the true rest. Who worship the beast and his image. And whoever receives the mark of his name. And now verse 12 tells us how we can avoid the mark of the beast. How can we avoid the mark of the beast? We can avoid the mark of the beast by following the guidelines in verse 12. Because verse 12 tells us how to avoid taking the mark of the beast. It says, here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. I think it becomes a little pathetic if you say it's impossible to keep the law of God when it says here that they keep the law of God. It's a heavy contrast to, to what, the, what the Bible says. And I just want to warn you guys, because you will meet in the Western Adventist world, you will meet severe resistance if you maintain that it is possible to keep the law of God through the grace of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. You will receive severe challenge. And some people will call you a legalist. And some people will call you crazy. Oh, who do you think you are? Are you going to save yourself to heaven? I've even seen in one article published in one country where the writer stated straight out that those who believe in this <coughs> victory in the end time, they think they... They think they can achieve this victory without the Holy Spirit. He wrote, he wrote it there. They think they can receive this, uh, gain this victory without the, the Holy Spirit. I know no Adventists who believe that. But this is the accusation. And it is untrue. Blessed are you if they talk falsehood about you. Blessed are those who are persecuted. 
blessed are those. So we have to be tough in these last days. One day Satan is going to walk among us and he is going to, to say that he is Jesus Christ. I'm Jesus and the whole world will bow down and say, oh, Jesus has come back. And then we, the cowards of the world, we are going to say, it's not Jesus, it's Satan. Can you, in, can you understand what incredible braveness that demands of us? To raise up and say, I will not follow 99.9% .9 of the world. I will, I will follow Jesus. I will follow the Bible. So, um, the patience of the saints, and we need patience. The last minutes, we will go to chapter 18. And I tell you, 18 is strong. <laughs> we could easily spend two hours on, on, on uh, these few verses I, I'm going over with. We have 12 minutes left. And you have been very patient. And uh, I think... Uh, I think uh, we will uh, we will complete everything. <coughs> After these things, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was illuminated with his glory. So this is just before Jesus comes back. It's obviously not now, because the, the earth is not illuminated now. The, the, the earth is in darkness when it comes to the gospel. The world, the, the, the Christian church wants desperately to, to combine with the world. And uh, it is not, it is for the future. But this future will take place. After these things, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was illuminated with his glory. And he cried mightily. You know, this cry is higher than a loud cry. It's mightily, it's a double load cry. So just before Jesus comes back, the patience of God has run out. God says, okay, enough is enough. We have to finish this now. So therefore, when God sees that we are ready, that we are ready, God's people are ready, when he sees that, he will push the button and he will say, um, okay, let's enlighten the world. Let's send the Holy Spirit. Let's... Let's uh, give the letter rain. Let's, let's finish this now. There has been so much suffering for 6,000 years in this world. I'm, I'm tired of the whole thing. So he will, he will allow the last message to go out to the world. In the first, uh, in chapter 18, verse 1. And through the books, of course, books have been placed on the shelves. There are radio programs, there are television programs, there are videos, there are YouTubes. Everyone has been enlightened about the present truth. And present truth is really when righteousness by faith has been incorporated into the third angel's message. So when the third angel's message and righteousness by faith, when they come together, and we can see that it is by the grace, by the, by the grace of God that... Uh, that we make progress, then uh, things will really, uh, great things will happen. Verse 2, and he cried mightily with a loud voice. So it's much stronger than in chapter 14. Saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen. And who is now Babylon the great? All fallen religions or all religions that are in warfare against the law of God. 
all religions that will not submit to the demands of the law of God through the grace of Christ, that religion is called Babylon in the Bible. So, cried mightily with a loud voice saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and has become a habitation of demons. You know, there are millions, billions of demons in this world. And I believe, when I was born in the hospital, there beside my bed was one nice angel and an evil angel. And these angels, I don't know their names, but they have followed me all my life, these two angels. One on one side and the other on the other side. And they try to influence me to, you know, to be addicted to all kinds of things in this world. This is the evil angel. And the good angel is trying to preserve me through these things. So uh, this moment is very nice because in this room, angels that have not met each other before, they can meet each other for the first time in many years. For instance, your angel, I didn't, he, they haven't, mine angel, like your angel, good angel, they haven't seen each other for some time. And now is the time to meet. So when we meet under the banner of Jesus Christ, the angels are celebrating. They have a very good time. And if you meet a person you haven't seen in 10 years, a, a, a Christian who, who loves Jesus, and you yourself love Jesus, think the angels, they haven't seen each other in 10 years also. And the angels, they knew each other up in heaven. Because they are intelligent, and they have their names. You know, one is called Gabriel, and one is called different names. They are individuals, and they are in intellects. So uh, the angels, they are with us. But in Babylon, all the evil angels have entered. Why have they entered Babylon? Why have they access to Babylon? Because in, ba in the wall around Babylon, there are big holes. Because they don't believe in the Ten Commandments. They don't believe in the biblical view on man's nature. They believe in immortality of the soul. And through the teaching of immortality of the soul, they are, have entered into spiritism, eternal hell, and the purgatory. Three heresies from the teachings of the immortality of the soul. Three heresies. The purgatory eternal hell, and spiritism. And so the demons, the demons, is it called demons? Yeah, the demons, they, they thrive in Babylon. Oh, they have a good time there, because they know that they, every Sunday they preach in favor of the demons' doctrines. So therefore it says that Babylon has become a habitation of demons a prison of every foul spirit and a cage of every unclean and hated bird. Have you heard that spiritism will be very, very present to us in the last days? Spiritism. Already in Norway, they have a spiritistic church. They, they sing uh, hymns to, to the Lord uh, and they use the Bible and they praise Jesus and it is a spiritist church. It's a spiritist church. That's also spiritism. And the Catholic Church is heavily into spiritism when they encourage us to pray to the saints or 
to adore the saints, to, 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 to show the saints special respect, as though the saints can communicate with us. And certainly they believe that Mary communicates with us, but Mary is dead. She is under there. There is no information that she is alive today. Just a month ago, another religion was um, ordained in Denmark, and uh, they worship uh, spirits. They worship spirits, yeah. yeah. And it has to be yeah. um, 50 in one. Okay. So all kinds of bizarre religions are appearing among us. So we have really to be on guard here. Okay, now we have two verses left here now. For all the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. We studied that in chapter 14. The kings of the earth have committed fornication with her. Well, that is true. The kings of the earth has committed fornication with her. Oh, the pol politicians of today, they are becoming more and more Christian. Have you paid attention to it? One after the other of politicians. If you want to go up in the system, you have basically to call yourself a Christian. And better if you call yourself a Catholic. And you know around Donald Trump and the White House and the Congress and the Supreme Court, it's overrepresented with Catholics. And the Jesuits, they have a foot inside, I tell you. And just one little point here. The Supreme Court in U.S., I should have told that for the... There were so many things I should have told. I, I'm going to cry all night because, because I didn't cover all I should have covered. But you know the Supreme Court in America, that's the third... There are three powers in America. The, the White House, the Congress, and the Supreme Court. And the uh, Supreme Court, the Höchstrat. Yeah. And when U.S. was established, the 13 colonies, there were about 1% Catholics in America. 1% to 2% Catholics of all Americans in the 13, uh, 13 states that united to form the United States, 1776. 1% Catholic. Today, there are 25% Catholics. Because, you know, they wanted a, a government free for a pope and free for a king. So it became a republic. But the Supreme Court makes big decisions concerning abortion and other very important issues. Today, the Supreme Court has nine members altogether and one Supreme Judge included. So including the Supreme Judge, Nine altogether. Of these nine, three are Jews and six are Catholics. Six are Catholics. So it's really the Catholics and the Jews, they make the great decisions in, in the judicial system of America. And now one of the Jewish judges, Ginsburg, she is sick and she's, she has cancer, I believe. She's going down the hill and she tries to maintain life and hoping that Donald Trump will not be elect re-elected because if Donald Trump is re-elected there might be there might be uh, uh, a judge number eight from the cat uh, number seven from the Catholic Church so then you have two Jews and you have seven Catholics in total and the supreme judge himself is a Catholic and these guys they have been studying at Georgetown University this is the best law school in America, and that's a Jesuit school. And even, even Donald Trump himself graduated from a Jesuit institution. 
Stan, what is it? It's a university in New York City, but it's a Jesuit university. And did you know that, what? Yeah. And did you know that the vice president is a Catholic? Pence, he's a Catholic. He's a born again evangelical Catholic. Do you know that Joe Biden is a Catholic? So they are, this, the Catholic Church has invaded Washington. And I, I have read a book recently, very interesting book about, about this. It's a, probably a non-Christian who has written it. He is a specialist. He, he teaches at Sorbonne University in Paris. You know, that's a nice university. Stanford University Press. In Rome we trust. In Rome we trust. And then the rise of Catholics in American political life. And he analyzes it and he documents that the Catholics are overrepresented in the American political life. What does it mean? When you read the news, they only tell you that this church is in favor of abortion, the other one is against abortion. This church is liberal, this church is conservative. But Catholic churches can be both liberal and conservative. Nobody asks what religion does the church belong to. Nobody asks. You never hear it in the media. You have to search other places. So, we take the last word. Uh, verse 3. For all the nations have drunk of the wine of wrath of the fornication. The kings of the earth have committed fornication. Oh my goodness, it's over here. Kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth have become rich through the abundance of her luxury. Verse 4. Now he comes. That is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. One of my favorite verses in the Bible because God will gather his people and most of his people is in Babylon. It says, And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins and lest you receive of her plagues. So I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people. Come out from her. Come out of her, my people. And what, what, and then it says, why? Lest you share in her sins and lest you receive of her plagues. That is the seven plagues. Yeah? Which song? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, we have a song. But. So these are the three angels' messages supported by the fourth angel. And this is what we have to present to the world. And you know, it takes time to present these messages. If I want to have an evangelistic meeting, it will take me 16 meetings to explain these messages. But when you have an Adventist congregation, you expect something else than the world. But maybe in the future, we shouldn't expect something at all. Because my people perishes because of lack of knowledge. And it is... A sad fact that we don't know our message anymore. I ask young people very often, I ask them one question just to test them. Tell me, when did the 1260 years end? And most young people, ah, no idea. They may have a master degree. They may be top engineers, 
They may be the smartest people in the class. Oh, when did the 1260 years end? Ah. And it's a sad fact because we should be the most intelligent in this world in Daniel and Revelation. We should know these things on our, in, in our fingertips. So, thank you very much for being patient. And uh, now I have talked enough, talked enough. Now, uh, tonight we will let Alan talk most of the time and other with testimonies. So, if you have a testimony, you can talk with Alan and I. And we will uh, give you probably an opportunity, unless you are, uh, like one called them uh, over there, if you are a moron or you are a very eccentric, uh, dangerous person, we will, not, uh, we will recommend not to come and talk to us. But all of you are normal people, so you can come and talk to us. Shall we pray? Okay. I thank you for your word. I thank you for your grace, for Jesus Christ, for the message. I know the message, people will perceive it as hard and unmerciful. And as they have always done in the times of the prophets in the Old Testament, they complained and they complained. But the prophets were faithful. They were saying the word of God. And some of them were killed and they were placed in in down in the earth and and they were uh, they had to escape from from uh, persecution in all directions so father we cannot expect something better now things are even worse we should expect since since satan he has been much more clever in tempting us and and the evil forces are all around us and people are selfish and materialistic and loving themselves we cannot expect to be treated with the greatest respect so help us father so we can be faithful despite these challenges help us that we can be humble and that we can be faithful to your program for the last days in the name of jesus we pray for these things amen This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.